Good morning, everyone. I'm reading today from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And I'm reading from the New International Version. So that's 1 John, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. It only bounced once, it's okay, it's all good. <laughs> well, it's what an awesome opportunity to come and worship God. Thanks heaps, Lise, for that. Thank you for that reading, Marjorie. What an what a incredible morning. This morning we've had a couple of um, encounters with God already and it's, it's exciting to be in a space where God shows up. And, um, and just at our 8.45 service, um, as we prepared for... Communion. Uh, Sue Garner gave a message which just perfectly aligned with the message tonight. And to have those moments where, when we're going to the same source, we're going to God and God just shows up. We haven't communicated during the week, yet there's an alignment space before the service even started. You go, wow, what a privilege to be somewhere where God is in the midst of it. And then after the service, one of our 845 members who has been on a long journey, uh, grew up outside of the church, a very uh, unchurched family, has been turning up faithfully for months and months, and we've been catching up uh, for coffee fairly randomly, and his prayer request was, it looks good, that the whole thing sounds good, but I haven't felt him yet. I don't know if it's real. I haven't felt it. And um, this morning he came up after the service with tears in his eyes. This big guy kissed me on the head. Still don't know what I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and said, this week I felt him. This week I encountered the Holy Spirit. Yeah, put your hands together. That is what it's all about. And... and and for some of us, that may be our starting point today, going, I, I get it, but I haven't felt it. Is it real? What is this? How are we meant to act to one another? How are we meant to act with God? What does this look like? And if that's where your starting point is, that's a great place to start today. I want to say that those two examples, those two stories wouldn't have taken place if it wasn't for the incredible servant heart of this church. From the moment that, say, the gentleman that kissed me on the head, and once again, I'm... I've got to let that go, but it, 
From the moment that he stepped foot in the door, he was loved. From the, the person with the orange lanyard, part of the Connect team, the, the K team, went and, and welcomed him to the door through to the, the conversations after coffee, after the service, through the person that sat next to him in the service, the, the people that took him out during the week to catch up with him, the, the, the people who were leading worship on the stage, the people that were folding the, the worship booklets during the week, those that are, that are doing the behind-the-scenes admin to pay for the lights to keep on, the, the, the incredible servant heart of this church, all those things combined to create the, the church body the body of Christ, our church family. So this morning, I actually want to start the message by saying thank you. Thank you to the volunteers. Thank you for those that do the incredible servant work of the body of Christ, both within what we call York Street, the, the, the people, but also outside, those that faithfully serve in their workplace and are, are a light in the darkness in, in their homes, in their schools, uh, within their families, within the environments, in their, their social sporting clubs. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being so faithful. And we get to hear the stories like we've witnessed at the 845 service. And please don't come up and kiss me after the, on the head after the service. <laughs> Still got to let that go. Get, let it go. <laughs> but we look forward to seeing what God's going to be doing in and through the life of our 1030 service and our entire church family as we continue to serve him. But it wouldn't take place if we, we didn't have a heart for Christ. And so this vision series that we're in the middle of is, is looking at what, what are these elements that make up our church that we stand upon? What are the, the, the foundation stones? What are the pillars that we're building York Street upon so we can fulfill the goal, the mission that God has us journeying towards? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that the very first foundation stone of our church is that we are anchored in Scripture, and led by the Spirit. We are anchored in God's Word. This gives us our, our compass, our foundation, our bearing, our, our, our manual for life. But more than this, that we are led by the Spirit. Like this morning, like we saw with Sue coming around the communion table and pretty much giving me the, the framework for my sermon, which was brilliant. Just go, oh, it's when we're led by the Spirit and we, we, we use Scripture as our guide, what a powerful powerful example that is and what a privilege to be on that journey with Christ. Last week we heard a little bit about the worship, the heart of worship that God likes most and while it wasn't a part of the vision series, it just echoed the vision of who we are as a church with our different services, our different service styles, yet we're one church. I love that Ange talked about one of the there's many different interpretations for the new logo for our church, but the, one of the interpretations is that we are so diverse, but we're all heading in the same direction, heading all towards God, but various service, various ages and stages, different worship styles, but one God, as well as it representing the empty tomb that he's risen. This morning's message is the, the second foundational pillar of our church, and that is if we are going to be true to, to what God's word calls us to do, if the first thing that we're called to do is to, to be anchored in Scripture and led by the Spirit. And we know we do that because when Jesus was asked what's the most important rules, he said what? Love your God, yeah, with all of your heart, soul, mind. Kids ministry, I can't shake it as much as I try. <laughs> you could add strength if you want. That's in the, the other versions. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. 
So if our first core value is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength, anchored in scripture and led by the spirit, then we've got to love our neighbor. And so the second foundational pillar of our church is that God cares for every member of his family and so do we. Because to be a part of a family means you can't pick and choose. To be part of a family means that, that, that you can't just all of a sudden go, no, I'm not part of your family. We're all children of God, and God loves every member of his family, and so do we. So the question is, how do we do it? And that's what we're going to be looking at through scripture and stories this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've been doing in the midst of your people here in and through Ballarat over the past week and weeks leading up to the encounter that one of our incredible brothers had with you this week. Lord, we thank you that you are so faithful in showing up. Thank you for the way that you reveal yourself through scripture and through being led by your spirit. Lord, we pray this morning that you would lead us as the body of Christ to encounter you once again through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we had this passage in 1 John. We're going to race through some scriptures. If, you, if you're the kind of person that just likes to take notes, then get a pen and paper, maybe grab your Bibles uh, and follow on as you can. The, the verses are up on the screen. If you just want to sit back and just kind of like take it in, hang on for a sec because we're going to fly through some of the, the foundational work around what the scriptures stay. I love what Carleen said about how, how it, sometimes the, the fire and brimstone approach can actually create a barrier. And when Jesus went to people, there was, always, there was always a repentance that took place because when you stand next to perfection, you start realizing the imperfections in yourself. Like it naturally happens, but Jesus doesn't lead with the rebuke. He nearly always leads with grace. The woman at the well, will you get me? You the sinner, you the Samaritan, will you get me a drink? The woman caught in adultery, you know, the, the, the people who are doing the, the wrong things over here and the people doing the wrong things, like it's always just you know, the cripple coming through the roof. He led with love and grace. He didn't, you know, come, person come through the roof and go, oh, you've been a bad boy. You know, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't rebuke, he, he showed love. We see in, in John this passage, we see the number one, that we're part of God's family. We're all part of God's family. John, 1 John chapter 3, see what, what great love the Father has lavished upon us. He's our loving, heavenly Father. In verse 7, it says, Dear children, we're his children, part of his family. Do not let anyone lead you astray, for the one who does right is righteous, he, just as he is righteous. And the idea of to being led astray, you need to know what the right path is. If you're going to make a wrong turn, the GPS says turn around, you've got to be on the right path at some point, right? You understand what that means? I remember when we got a, this is a totally random story, I remember we got a GPS before we, we moved um, to Sydney. It was Michael Fraser, he's sitting right there. And, and this GPS, it was when GPSs were brand new, and the GPS, you could reprogram it and put your own voices over the thing, so it's, it would, you'd hit it record and say, say turn right in five seconds, three, two, one, yeah, turn right. And then you could put your own voice over it. Anyway, I, gave, I lent it to Michael for a, a week or so. He thought it'd be funny to record his own voice over that, but not give the correct directions. <laughs> and I, remember, I remember driving home, the same drive that I've done thousands and thousands of times, and I was almost shaking by the time I got home. I was so stressed. Could I say, in 400 meters, turn right. No, 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 stop, turn around. Ah, ah. <laughs> turn left. No, right, right, right. Ah, ah, ah. 
You've got to be on the right path before you, you know what it is to be led on the wrong path. That so wasn't part of the message. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to know what the right path, we need to understand what the right path is. And we've already talked about it this morning, we've already, and we heard about it last week when Ange spoke about worship, the heart of worship, that when Jesus was asked, what's the right path, what's the most important guidance? If your GPS had only just a couple of instructions, what are the most important instructions Love the Lord your God for your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Matthew 22, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else, all the other commandments, all the other rules that come out of the, the, the Ten Commandments of Exodus or the, the ways to live that come out of Deuteronomy or, or all of the, the wisdom and guides, everything that's in the New Testament all just comes down to these really simple rules. Love God with all you got. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And we go, that sounds great. We've heard that lots. So the next question is, how do we love? What, is, what does that action look like? What is, if love is a verb, anybody remember DC Talk? Yeah. There's probably two or three generations in the rooms going, what? <laughs> um, anyway, they have this song called Love is a Verb. Love is an action. Love is something that we do. And in Romans 12, we see this beautiful explanation of love in action, love being lived out. Romans 12, verse 9, it says that love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, that passion, but, but keep your spiritual fervor, that energy and that hunger for the Holy Spirit being led. Serving the Lord. That's what I love about this church. We've just started the service by saying, great job, volunteers, who are doing this. Spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, honoring others above themselves, loving their neighbor, both within the, 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 what we call York Street, but also what we call the church, the body of Christ, outside in their workplaces, in the world that we live. And a part of this, we understand, like, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Well, we've got to ask some questions. What is good? I actually shared with the 845 service that I'm starting to get nervous because people are clinging to what is good and they're doing the, the right things between them and God. And one of the right things is to, to, to worship him. Last week we looked, heard about the, the power of corporate worship coming together and singing praises to God. And, and I love it. I think, Ange, was that this, this service where you said you just got lost in worship for a moment? 845. 845's good service, just saying. 1030 is great as well, but there's some stuff happening in our 845 service. Uh, you, sometimes you get lost in worship in that, in that space. And it's good to cling. It's good to, to, to follow some of those habits that we know. Read God's word. Spend time communicating him. You know, anchor in scripture, read God's word. Led by the spirit. Time in prayer. And we know when we cling to those good things, coming together, Hebrews 10, don't give up meeting together, as some people are in the habit of doing, you know, so we can build one another up. You cling to those things, and all of a sudden, the things that are evil, you start going, ooh, that is different, that is wrong, that doesn't fit what God's Word said, that doesn't fit what the Spirit's saying to me, that doesn't fit my understanding, my framework of how I'm meant to live as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And we go, this sounds, this sounds doable. This sounds good. I can do this. Romans 12. All right. Then we get to verse 14. 
And it goes, okay, I can love, I can love. And it goes, well, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You go, hang on. So it was okay if I'm doing the right thing. And it's okay if I'm going, doing the right actions, I'm turning up to church. But, but all of a sudden, I'm supposed to be blessing those that are persecuting me. I'm, I'm supposed to bless, I'm supposed to give above and beyond. I'm supposed to, to give of what I've got, you know, to give someone a blessing is to, to give them something they don't deserve, like something that's, that's bigger than, than who they are. And I'm supposed to do that when they're actively against me. They're actively persecuting me. What? Really? Hang on. That verse started in verse 9 with love must be sincere. I don't know. That's, I don't know. How am I supposed to bless sincerely if I'm getting persecuted? This is tricky. It goes on, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Man, but sometimes I just want to get back, you know? Like, oh, sometimes that thing that they did is like, oh. Last night, uh, we had a, a party in front of a family member's house, and, and someone not within the family had parked in a way that blocked up like about four car parks. They just parked really inappropriately in front of the house, and everything in me is just like, I want to park a car there and a car there, and, it's like, and they can't move, and it's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, preach on how we're supposed to not repay evil for evil. <laughs> it's hard. These words seem so simple on a page. And like, I went to bed last night thinking I could put rubbish bins. Like, seriously, it bugged me. And it, and I'm thinking, like, oh, what do you do? How do you don't repay evil for evil? But why? Is it just so that we can be all lovey and, oh, we love everybody and, oh, yeah, just steal my money and park in front of my house badly and it's okay. You know, is that, is that what it's about or is there a bigger... Why is this here? What's the purpose for it? Well, it's the same purpose that the entire gospel, the entire Bible is all about. And, and if you start from cover to cover, if you were to summarize God's word, what is this about? What does this mean? It's all about restoring a broken relationship. It's all about reconciliation, restoration of a, a broken relationship. From, from the very beginning where God created us and gave us free will to live however we wanted. He didn't want to make us robots. He didn't want to dictate stuff to us. He didn't want to control us. He said, I want to give you free will. But there's a few rules. We go, cool. And we broke the rules. And we've been breaking the rules ever since. But a loving God said, even if you break the rules, I love you so much that I'm going to give you a way to restore that relationship through the Old Testament, through this sacrificial system. I don't really care so much about the sacrifices. I actually care about your heart. And the New Testament shares the story of how Jesus lived that out to the point where he became the sacrifice. The good news is that God loves us so much that he's created a way for us to have a relationship back with him. So why would you bless those who persecute you? Why would you not repay evil for evil? It's simply because God sees every single person, even the person that's persecuting you, even the person that is doing evil, he sees them as his child. And he wants to restore them back to himself. 
and he wants to use us as the vessels, as his communicating tools, as, his, as the body of Christ to do that. We see this exemplified in Jesus himself. And understand this story, and if you, if you want to prepare and have a look through it, it's in Luke 17. But to understand that the story a little bit, to understand what, what's going on in this story, first you've got to understand that, that there's some rules that are at play that Jesus goes totally against. Just like there's some rules in our society that sometimes Christianity can go totally against. One of the, one of the rules, if we look at Leviticus, we see in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 to 46, it says, it's anyone who has such a defiling disease, and it's talking about skin disease and, and, and things that are affecting people physically on the outside, but something that could be contagious. It's a pretty timely message when there's contagious things floating around the world. But anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Don't wear nice clothes, wear torn clothes. And, and the hair must be unkept. Don't brush your hair and have it look nice. It's got to be all, all messy and, and cover the lower part of your face so you're not breathing on people with, with something. And, and then, and then any time someone comes near to you, you've got to yell out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they're to remain unclean and they must live alone and they must live outside the camp. They're, they're castaways, they're, they're outcasts from, communi- from the community. And it didn't matter if you were part of the Jewish nation or who you were, if you got some of these diseases, the rules that, that were set out in the book of Leviticus, the book of rules, the book of living, and some of it for, for good reason. That if you had a disease that you could pass on to other people, that'd be bad. This morning I had a staff member come in going, okay. <laughs> feel all right. I feel like I can work, but I feel like I'm contagious. What do I do? Work. No, I didn't. So we, we, <laughs> yeah. And, and we like, said, go home. It's okay. It's okay. And you could see the wrestle. They've got an awesome team here. They work incredibly hard. Had to almost send them home. Go. Because they, they were worried that they're contagious. Now, they're not going to sit out in the foyer tagging clothes and mess up their hair and they're unclean, unclean. If you want to sign up to help out in this ministry, do unclean. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's these rules that are at play. And so Jesus is doing what he does. He's doing what scripture says. It's all about reconciling the broken relationship with God. He's, he's going from town to town telling the good news, the good news that God loves you and God has created a way to restore that broken relationship. You don't have to work your way into heaven. God will do it. Of course, when you understand who God is and you get close to him, you realize, wow, I've messed up. And you repent. You can't help but repent. You can't help but change the way you live. You can't help. If you follow hard enough, Deuteronomy 29, 14, 13 and 14, if you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all of your heart, 845, a, a, a gentleman did that this week and encountered the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you realize that, oh, man, I messed up. Man, I've got some things to work on. You give it to God. You give it to God. But the, the entry point is love. The entry point is grace, that, that God loved us so much that he put his son on a cross to take the consequences for the, the broken relationship that we've made when we've chosen to do things that separate us from God. And so we see Jesus living his life, going from one city to the next. 
And he's going from one city to the next and he sees these 10 lepers. Leprosy is this condition, and if you do have doctors in the house, um, you can probably correct me on this, but my understanding, my naive understanding of leprosy is that it affects the nerve endings so that you can't feel or have a sense of feeling. And so because of that, that disease, lepers would reach for something and not realise the pressure that they've reached for something and in doing something, scratch themselves or break a bone. Or they'd go to scratch themselves, not realising, and actually take, get, go too hard and, and injure themselves. And because of that, they were often bandaged because of injuries. They'd look down and go, oh, I'm bleeding, I'll wrap it up and, and not realise that it's infected and sore. And, and they'd end up quite disfigured sometimes and scarred back before modern medical treatment was able to to be accessed. And because they didn't know what was causing the disease or how it spread or what was going on, they were outcasts. And there's these ten lepers, and Jesus is walking from city to city, preaching the good news of reconciliation between people and God. And in Luke chapter 17, we read that as he was... Verse 12, as he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance because they're obeying the law. They're not going close. They're at a distance. But they yell out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Other translations say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Show us mercy. We don't deserve it. We don't know what's going on. But would you, Master, respecting the authority of Jesus, would you show pity? Would you show mercy? Would you give us something that we don't deserve? Would you see us in our state and help us? He saw them and he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. The extra part in Leviticus that goes on, that if you're an outcast, the next Leviticus 14 talks about how if you are an outcast and you need to be cleansed, you need to show yourself to the priest because the priests were essentially the doctors of the time. Can I just say that is definitely not the case today. I have no idea what's going on with people. (laughs) Have a bottle of Coke, I don't know. And, and so Jesus goes, go and, go and show yourself in faith to those that will, will deem you to be healthy again. And, and so they go. The, the ten lepers go and show themselves to the, to the authorities of the time, the priests. And then they were to follow a bunch of rituals to show that they were obedient, thankful to God, and, and to make sure they were clean. They were to bathe a number of times, and they would do a certain things, and do stuff with their clothes, and then they would be healed, and they could go back to their children, they could go back to their families, their wives, their, their, their husbands, they could go back and live, the, and be integrated back into society, free, clean slate, if they did these certain rules. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest, the start of these set of rules. As they go, as they went, so the action, they're living in faith. As they walked from that place, they weren't healed instantly. It says this in verse 14, as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine that? Like as you walked towards the temple, all of a sudden, your fingers start to get feeling back in them. And you're starting to 
the limp starts to go away and the, you start pulling off the bandages. Some of them were there to prevent injury, others were to cover injuries, and you start pulling them off and realizing, hey, it's, it's healed. What is this? And suddenly the excitement of, I might get to see my kids again. I might get to see my, my, my husband or my wife again. I might get to, to, to experience the food that's not left out for, for the lepers on the outskirts, the outcasts, but I actually get to sit at a table and have a meal inside a house with the people that I love. And they get excited and they get excited and as they get to the temple, we see that only one of the lepers in that moment goes, I'm healed. I've got to go back. And he runs back to Jesus and he goes, you are amazing. This is incredible. He starts praising God in a loud voice, verse 16. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And if there's a kicker in the story, if there's like a left hook, it then says, and he was a Samaritan. Those that were actually, had actually gone against God's plan actively. They weren't God's chosen people because they, when God said, I want you to be holy, the word holy means set apart. I want you to live a certain way. I want you to act a certain way. I want you to do this to show others that when you do something powerful, it's not your nation's work. It's God's work through you. I'm going to tear down walls. I'm going to part seas. I'm going to deliver people out of slavery. I'm going to do incredible things so that when people look at you, they go, that is not human made. That is from your God. So you are to live a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way. And the Samaritans did the opposite. There's this group that married the enemy and followed the enemy's gods and, and did some things over here. And they, they started to correct themselves a little bit and they followed some of it. And we won't go into the whole Samaritan journey this morning. But because they went off with the enemy, they were so despised by the Jewish nation. You aren't set apart. You conformed. You slept with the enemy. You are so disgusting against the purity of who God is. Everything God did for us, you stood against. Yuck. Yet we see this moment where God himself, is, his son, shows compassion on others, heals without discrimination. Jews and Gentiles, believers and unbelievers, God's chosen people and those that weren't in that period of time. And he healed them all. But it's the Samaritan that comes back and shows gratitude. Verse 17, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no other returned to praise, to give praise to God except this foreigner? He turned to him and said, Rise and go. Your father has made you well. What I love about this story is that Jesus treats everyone the same. And that last passage, rise and go, your father has made you well. A Samaritan, your father, Samaritan, your father outcast, your father who's been ostracized and outcast by the Jewish people, but ostracized and outcast even more because you're a, you've got this skin condition, you've got leprosy. Jesus accepts them, loves them, embraces them and says, your father has made you well knowing that he's come and he's worshipping his father. He's had this revelation of who God is. He's had this healing, but he's gone back to the source, gone back to Jesus. There's a song that we sing, and 
It's, it's got this bridge in it that is just so incredibly powerful. And, and the way that God sees us and the way that God treats us, the way that Jesus treated those around him is something that I think is just so foundational to, to why we are put here on this earth as Christians. It is our job to lead people to him. And we do that by loving others. We do that by treating people the way that God treats them. That, that the core value is that God loves every member of his family, so do we. So the question is, who are the outcasts in our society today? Who are the people that you go, they're persecuting me, they're doing wrong against me, I don't know if I can bless them, I don't know if I can not repay evil for evil, they're parking in front of my house badly, they're doing these things, I don't know, I don't know. Who are these people in our society, who are the people in your lives that you, you struggle to love, you struggle to forgive? Because Jesus loved everyone, even the Pharisees. When Jesus was nailed to the cross by those that were actively persecuting him to the point where they killed him, he goes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If he can forgive, so can we. If he can bless, so can we. If he can show love, so can we. There's a song, and the bridge is, is almost an incredibly powerful prayer. The, the bridge of this song goes, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Imagine what that prayer would look like if we started to see others the way that God sees them. If we would have the courage, it's a, it's a hard prayer to pray. God, would you break my heart for the things that break yours? Would you give me eyes to see people the way that you see them? Hey, um, a few years ago, I was ministering in a church where we had two services, and after our night service, we'd do a meal together. And it was sort of a youth, young adults-based sort of service, and we'd have this meal afterwards, and it was really... Good fun, and, and as often happens, um, the last to, to leave church, um, sometimes I think a bed in the office would be a good thing, <laughs> and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and last to leave, just doing the final, wiping down the benches, I think, in the, the cafe area, and, um, and this guy walked in off the street, and he was known to the church, we knew the guy well, but it's 11 o'clock at night, and he goes, have you got any food? And I've got to say, the first thing within me was, oh, I was cranky with him. It's like, oh, man, if you had just turned up. Like, it's 11 o'clock, mate, 11 o'clock. Like, if you just turned up, like, a few hours ago, we could have given you a, a hot meal. Even a couple of hours ago, we could have given you the leftovers, like the, the extra food that we had, but we give it to the, the young uni students who are away from home to try and feed them, so they've got something to eat during the week. But we've given away everything. There's, like, the fridge is literally... There's no, nothing to eat there other than if you just want to eat straight butter or something. Like, there's nothing in there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm cranky with him. I'm tired. I've been ministering and caring for people and loving on people all day, which we do and we love. But let's, be, let's face it, it can be tiring loving on people and, and listening to stories. And it's great. It's what we do and we'll keep doing it. It's awesome. But at 11 o'clock, it's, it's starting to wear out. And I remember thinking, oh, mate. And, I, and then I looked at him. And he's got no shoes on. Where are his shoes? And his feet were dirty. 
and we're, we're bleeding a bit. So I'm like, what are you doing? Grab a seat. Get off your feet. What are you doing? And, he, and I look, actually looked at him rather than just sort of picturing what I thought he looked like from the last time. And he was, he, he was looking thin and pale and he couldn't even talk properly. And, and I knew that he, he'd had addictions in the past that had possibly damaged his, his understanding, his processing of how to think and and some abuse in his past. So I understand there's more going on, but he was in a really bad way, far worse than I'd ever seen him before. And I went to the freezer and I found some out-of-date raisin bread. (laughs) So I prayed a little blessing over that. God, make him not get sick from what I'm about to give him. (laughs) And, And started chucking that in the toaster and there's some milk there. And so made him about three or four coffees, just trying to get some something into him and the whole half a loaf of raisin toast, and then I went to the freezer again and found another loaf of bread that was probably a couple of days out of date, but I thought that'll be right, and, and said, look, mate, look, I, we've got, honestly, we've got nothing here for you, and it's 11 o'clock, like, it's, everything's shutting down for the night. By the time we get there, it's all closed. Um, take the loaf of bread, take the butter, uh, there's some cheese, take some cheese, um, and I started, I've got this spread, so I don't like that one. So, do you want this spread? I don't like this. And I found something that he could, he, he could put on and make some sandwiches the following day. And I said, look, mate, I'm, this is about all I can do tonight. Can I, can I give you this? And, and then first thing tomorrow, I'll be here at 9 o'clock tomorrow. You come in and we'll go to the grocery store and I'll, I'll fill, your, fill your pantry. Is, is that okay? He's like, oh, yeah. I said, like, here you go. And he said, oh, can you give me a lift home? And I remember, you know, all those warning bells go off when you've got someone that's had an addiction in the past and you want to be safe and smart. So I'm messaging the event and I'm messaging the, the staff saying, hey, I'm taking so-and-so home. And, and we jumped in the car and we set off down the street and I got about four houses down the street and goes, here it is. I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> It took more time to text people to say that I was going to take him for a lift than it actually took to take him home. And so I'm like, you're good, mate? And he goes, yeah, yeah. So you're going to be, it was getting cold, and it's going to be right for night. He goes, oh, yeah. And so I was trying to give him some food to heat up. He goes, oh, no, my power's been turned off. I've got no electricity at home. I'm like, oh, so at least the bread will thaw out and you can have a sanger. The next day he comes, I remember just, going home with him heavy on my heart and praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. Like, God, God, just, just may he survive the night because he was really crook. So crook he couldn't, didn't think he could walk four houses worth. And on the next day, I'm, I get to work early because I want to be there and I've, I've got some cash ready to go because I thought we'll, we'll pay in cash, we'll do it, do it safe. And, we'll, and um, he didn't show up. And a week goes past and two weeks and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder where he is. And, and then, then if I'm honest, a couple of months go past that I don't think of him and then I think of him again and all of a sudden this thought in the back of my head, it's like, what if that raisin toast was really out of date? <laughs> like, what if that was his... <laughs> I'm thinking, like, what if... What if that was his last meal? <laughs> what if... Yeah... Thank you. What if what um, I gave him was the thing that tipped him over the edge? Like, what if I killed him? You know, all these thoughts are racing through the back of my head. Eight months, nine months, ten months, 
12 months. He's gone. Where is he? 18 months go past. And he's walking down the street, little belly on him. <laughs> Mate, where have you been? What's going on? And he goes, oh, do you know that night you gave me all that food? So, yeah, 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 the police came and arrested me after that. <laughs> he's been in prison <laughs> for 18 months. <laughs> Saved his life. <laughs> like, no wonder he's, they've been feeding him and looking after him and caring for him. Wow. The thing is that that sometimes we're actually not responsible for what happens in somebody else's lives. What we can have control over is how we relate to them and in that moment what we do. I wasn't feeling it when he first walked in at 11 o'clock after a full day of ministry. There's nothing about the feels. I was just like, ah. Yet in that space, God moved me to compassion and gave me these eyes to see him the way that God saw him. And the more time I spent with him, the more I started to care about him to the point where I was praying for him consistently for 18 months. Going, God, I don't know if that was enough. We've prayed with him before. We've loved on him before. I've, I've filled his pantry before. I've, I've gone down and shouted meals before. Like we've, we've journeyed with this guy. What, what more can we do? We do our part. God does his. I wonder what that would look like if each and every one of us as a church, both as individuals and as, as the body of Christ, would commit to, to pray a simple prayer that is so easy in words, but is so hard to do in action. The, the prayer is this, God, will you give me eyes to see others how you see them? God, will you give me eyes to see others how you see them? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am, not for myself, not for the, the, the feels that I have, but everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Show me how to love like you loved me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that we see you moving in and through this place. We thank you for the privilege it is to serve you. And in serving you, we get to experience the incredible supernatural power of aligning our lives with you. We thank you for those who serve you in this place through the ministries of this church and just through their lives of obedience wherever you have called them to minister. Lord, we thank you that you as a a heavenly father love us each as individuals and as your children and as your church. Lord, we pray as a church that you would give us the, the courage and the boldness to be able to pray a simple prayer that we would have eyes to see others the way that you see them. We know that you love every member of your family, so we should as well. Would you give us that burning desire? Would you help us to have a heart that would break for those that don't know you? Would you open up our eyes to the unseen things of this world? Lord, so that we could live a life that would align with the master plan that you have of restoring us back into relationship with you, a loving relationship with a loving Father. But Lord, that we would also have eyes to see the beauty that you have created for us. Those moments where we see somebody returning after being healed back to you and say, thank you, Father, for healing me. 
thank you for showing me the way. Thank you that I heard your voice this week. Thank you that, that when I got up to serve, I had never had any idea that you would align this message with others around us. And we're in a space of privilege to be serving a heavenly Father. Would you give us eyes to see others how you see them? In Jesus' name, amen.